I love to eat. Uh, there's something just special about sitting around the table with people you love eating good food. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's right. And if you ask my wife, Rebecca, and I, who our favorite cooks in the world are, we'd have the exact same answer. It's Steve and Diana White. I, I mean, no offense to my grandmother, and don't tell my mom that I said that, all right? But Steve and Diana White are magicians in the kitchen. We've gotten the opportunity to go over their house a whole bunch of times and sit around their dining room table, and it's just Kentucky comfort food. You know, good old-fashioned, make-you-fat food. It's amazing Steve White looks as trim as he does. If I lived in that house, I'd look like Santa Claus right now. But it's good stuff, and you know what this is like, right? You get done devouring a delicious meal. You are full to the brim, so full your eyes are just about glazed over, and then comes the best part. Somebody pipes up, better keep your fork. You know what that means, right? Yeah, that means the best is yet to come. That means apple pie or chocolate cake or warm, gooey brownies and ice cream. Keep your fork. There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come, and for a moment, all is right with the world. And yet we know that ultimately, all is not right with the world. Uh, Most of us today are going to get to leave church, and we'll get to eat lunch. But a lot of people here in Hendricks County, maybe even here in this congregation, won't get to. We live in a world where there's an awful lot of bellies that don't remember what it's like to feel full. We live in a world where every year three million children die from undernourishment. That's enough to fill Lucas Oil Stadium 44 times. We live in a country, even here in America, where over 40 million people are at risk of going hungry. They don't have enough food. Even here in Indiana, there are 300,000 kids who don't have enough food or nutrition. They're hungry. That's one in six children. Starvation is real. Hunger is real. Many of you have seen this picture. Um, In the year 1993, a photographer named Kevin Carter flew to Sudan to photograph the famine that was sweeping the land, and he saw this girl, just a toddler, skin and bones, starving. And as he took her picture, a fat, plump vulture landed behind her. You know what that vulture's waiting for. This, friends is a picture of a broken world, a world of hunger, a world where cups run dry, a world that sometimes seems hopeless. Kevin Carter won a Pulitzer Prize for this photograph, and shortly thereafter, he committed suicide. We live in a world of hunger. We live in a world where cups run dry. We live in a world that sometimes seems hopeless. A long time ago, before Jesus came to earth, there was a woman who felt hopeless. A drought covered the land in which she lived. Uh, Her husband was dead. She had no way to provide food for her and her son. And so one day she was out gathering sticks and she was gonna use those sticks to build a fire. And over that fire, she would take her last little dash of oil and her last little pinch of flour and she'd make a piece of bread and she'd split it with her son. It was gonna be their last meal. They'd starve to death after that. And then as she's gathering sticks, all of a sudden a man appeared, a traveler, and he asked this widow for some bread and some water. And so she told him she only had a little and she was using it to make her last meal. But the man told her, don't be scared. Go make a small loaf of bread and give it to me. And after that, uh, make something for you and your son. And God promises you that if you do that, that little bit of flour, that little bit of oil will not run out until the day the rain comes back on the land. And sure enough, she did just that. And for years, 
She never ran out of flour, never ran out of oil until the rain came back on their land. That man's name was Elijah. He was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament and that woman trusted God. In a world where cups run dry, her cup was filled. And just when it seemed like all hope was gone, when it seemed like there was nothing left, her cup was filled yet again. Keep your fork. (laughs) There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. You see, our God is good at catering. Our God is good at catering. In fact, all throughout the Bible, we see God providing food for people as a blessing, as a gift from him to us. Way back in the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, when God makes mankind, you know what the first thing he gives Adam is? A menu. He says, here, Adam, look at the world. I'm giving this to you. Now go eat it. Enjoy. Awesome. <laughs> right? God made us to eat. I like that. And later on, when God formed his people, the nation of Israel, he wrote into their law. He required them to take breaks multiple times a year and go have festivals. Go have parties with food. Sweet. <laughs> Our God is good at catering. In fact, God even spoke through his prophet Isaiah to talk about his kingdom, this this life to come that we're all headed for. And he describes it as a banquet, as an all-you-can-eat buffet of God's goodness. Isaiah chapter 25 says, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. He will swallow up death forever. This is an eternal banquet It's a perpetual feast that we will never have to leave. And yet, we know that we're not there yet. Because in this world, we still have hungry people, we still have poor people, we still have hopeless people. So what does God do about that? Well, God uses his people to feed those people. God hardwired into Israel's law the command to care for the poor and the hungry. He told the farmers to leave some crops around on their fields for the poor people to come and pick up. Leviticus chapter 19, he said, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So the people of Israel, they were commanded to provide food for the poor. If the people of God were obeying God, then there shouldn't be any hungry people in the land. And not only did God use his people to provide for people, God also himself miraculously provided food. You might remember when the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, leaving Egypt, and they didn't have any water. What did God do? Well, he he, he brought water forth from the rock. And when they were wandering around in the desert and they didn't have any food, God sent bread from heaven to feed them, manna, just enough for one day. And then the next morning when they woke up and they were hungry again, there it was again. And then we talked about the prophet Elijah. Well, he had a protege whose name was Elisha. And one time Elisha had a hundred men to feed, but he only had 20 loaves of bread. But God made the bread last to feed all 100 men and there were even leftovers. You see, with God, you can keep your fork. There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. I have a friend named Joel. And when Joel was in college, he was poor. Most of us remember what it was like being a poor college kid, right? And one Sunday, Joel was sitting in church and he felt convicted by the Lord that he needed to tithe. The tithe on his income that week would have been $5. But here's the thing. Joel only had $5 left. $5 was all he had to his name. 
So if he gave his money, there was a problem. The college cafeteria didn't serve lunch or supper on Sundays. If Joel gave that $5 left, he wouldn't have any money for food the rest of the day. And this may seem like a small problem to us, but if you've ever been a college guy, you know what college guys' appetites are like, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're ravenous wolves. If you walk into a dorm lobby where guys are gathered around watching football and you throw a cheeseburger into the mix, it's like the Hunger Games right there, okay? This is not a small thing. But Joel, he says a little prayer, asks the Lord to provide for him, and gave his $5. Later on that afternoon, Joel's sitting in his dorm room, starting to feel a little hungry, hadn't eaten lunch, didn't have any food, all out of ramen noodles and Hot Pockets. (laughs) And he's thinking, Lord... I know it's no big deal. I I can go for a day without a meal, but man, it sure would be nice if you could provide some food for me. Well, later on that evening, about 6.30, 7 o'clock, to distract himself, Joel goes down to the lobby of the dorm there to watch some TV. And when he goes down there, he sees a group of guys hovered around a table chowing down on sub sandwiches. And one of the guys pipes up and says, dude, some church donated these to the dorm. Come get some. So Joel goes over, grabs two sub sandwiches. He's thinking, God is good. He sits down, starts chowing down on these sub sandwiches when all of a sudden, another guy from the dorm comes in the door carrying 10 Pizza Hut pizzas. The guy worked at Pizza Hut said, hey, we couldn't sell these, nothing wrong with them. I'm sick of eating pizza, help yourselves. Joel's like, all right, well done, God. Joel gets a whole pizza to himself. I'm not making this up. He's sitting there eating his pizza, eating his sub sandwiches. When in through the door comes another guy from the dorm carrying a 12 pack of Coke. He says, I won this at a church function today, but I'm allergic to caffeine. Help yourselves. (laughs) And now Joel's just sitting there laughing. Wow, God, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. Went in through the door. I'm not making this up. Comes another guy. He says, hey, everybody, my church here in town's throwing a barbecue for college students. Anybody who's hungry, follow me. (laughs) And Joel's thinking, all right, now, God, you're just showing off. (laughs) You see, with God... You can keep your fork. There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. And for the people of God, the people of Israel, well, the best really was yet to come. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus came during his earthly life, his favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And in the Gospels, the four books that tell us about Jesus, we see three verses that start with the words, the Son of Man came blank. And those three verses kind of give us a clue to Jesus' purpose when he came. You might recognize this first verse. It's Mark 10, 45. It says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The next verse was from our text last week, Luke chapter 19. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, those are, those are two very noble callings. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to save the lost. That's great. We get that. Then the third verse is Matthew chapter 11. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So when Jesus came, a primary aspect of his mission, one of the things he loved to do was just sit and eat with people. And when he did... It was always more than just a meal. One time Jesus was at a wedding very early on in his ministry, and it was a big wedding festival, but but at the party they ran out of wine. So what did Jesus do? Had him go get some big old jars of water, and he turned the water into wine so that the party could continue his very first miracle. You see, with Jesus, you can keep your fork. It's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. 
Well, when people found out that Jesus could do miracles like that, well, man, everybody wanted to be with Jesus. The crowds just flocked to him. Everybody wanted to see a miracle. Everybody wanted to hear Jesus teach. And so everywhere he went, crazy things were happening and tons of people were there. Look at what, look at what happened one time. Luke chapter nine, verses 10 through 17. It says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they'd done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. (laughs) They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. Everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Wow. So here's the scene. Jesus has just sent his disciples out uh, two by two on their own on this little mini mission trip to do their own miracles and teaching. And they get back and the trip had been successful, but it was also exhausting. You guys know what it's like to travel. I'm sure they're all wiped out. So, so Jesus and his pals, they're in need of a break. They're in need of some downtime, some alone time, some rest. And so they head off to a town called Bethsaida, which is the hometown of a few of Jesus's disciples. They're gonna get away by themselves, uh, recuperate a little bit, but it was not to be. The crowds found out where they were going and they follow along so that by the time Jesus and his disciples actually arrive, there's a mob of thousands waiting for them, wanting to see miracles, wanting to hear Jesus teach. Luke says there was 5,000 men. So you can imagine if some women and some kids showed up, it's not hard to imagine 10, 15,000 people there. That's like the whole town of Avon showing up to hear Jesus. I bet the disciples' hearts just sank. No break today. No downtime for us. But Jesus... Even when he was exhausted, he always had a little more to give. And so he welcomed the people, Luke said, teaching and healing. And the people, they loved Jesus. They loved Jesus so much that they skipped lunch, they skipped dinner, so just so they could listen to Jesus teach all day long. And towards the end of the day, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he says, whew, you boys better figure out where to get some food to feed all these people. <laughs> the disciples are thinking, what? I mean, Jesus, it would take one, two, three. I, I mean, it'd take like seven or eight months' wages for somebody who has a job to buy enough food to feed all these people. But Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, we don't exactly have jobs. Our job is following you. We're not really that rich. And just then, the other gospels tell us that one of the disciples, a guy named Andrew, comes forward holding the hand of a small boy. The boy's carrying a little sack lunch. Andrew says, Hey, Jesus, see this kid? Well, He heard what you said about everybody being hungry and he wanted to help. His mom packed him a little sack lunch today so he wanted to give it to you so you could help use it to feed the people. Thought it was kind of the cutest thing in the world. Thought you might want to meet him. (laughs) Jesus is like, well, finally, somebody's doing something around here. (laughs) Hey, buddy, what you got in the sack? Oh, yeah, those little crackers and sardines. My mom used to make those too. Thanks, man. Luke tells us that Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and he gave thanks for the food. 
the disciples are probably thinking, uh, what food? This is like the ancient equivalent of a ham sandwich and a bag of chips. That's barely enough to feed one guy, much less 5,000. But Jesus takes it and he breaks it. He starts handing out the bread. And it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. First case of carpal tunnel in history right there was Jesus breaking bread for 5,000 people. (laughs) It says that they all ate enough that they were completely satisfied. They were full, so much that there were 12 baskets full left over. And now, now, we actually thought about making a meal for all of you guys. We were going to cut the sermon a few minutes short. Yeah, you know, you're all thinking, yeah, right, okay. But uh, we were going to cut the service a little bit short. We were all going to go have a meal out in the hub, but the logistics just ended up, ended up working out because it, it's hard to feed a crowd of people, right? It's hard to do. Hard for us. But Jesus, I mean, he's the guy who made like everything out of nothing. So feeding a crowd of a few thousand with some bread and some fish, that's nothing. Shoot, he'll even have leftovers, Twelve baskets full, it says. Twelve baskets, maybe one for each of the twelve disciples to remind them that no matter how little they have, if they bring it to Jesus, it'll be more than enough. Maybe twelve baskets full for the twelve tribes of Israel to remind them of the abundance of God's provision for his people. Maybe it's a sneak peek of the eternal feast to come a perpetual feast where there's more food at the end than there is at the beginning. Maybe it's a clue to Jesus's identity. You see, right before this miracle in Luke chapter nine, verse nine, King Herod is asking about Jesus's identity. He's like, who's this Jesus guy that I keep hearing all this stuff about? And then after Jesus feeds the 5,000, we come back to Jesus's identity. Look at this interaction he has with his disciples, verses 18 through 20. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. So who is Jesus? Is he the second coming of the prophet Elijah, the one who helped that widow survive for years on a little bit of flour and oil? Or maybe is he like Elisha, Elijah's protege, the the, the one who uh, fed 100 people with 20 loaves of bread and had leftovers? Or maybe is he a prophet of old, a prophet like Moses, perhaps? You remember maybe that God promised to send a prophet like Moses, Moses, the one who led God's people through the desert and, and helped feed them with bread from heaven every single day? Oh, maybe. But maybe. Maybe, maybe this feeding of the 5,000 is more than just a picnic. Maybe it's a clue. Maybe they caught a glimpse when they saw Jesus feeding these people. Maybe they caught a glimpse of God catering again, except this time better than ever. Maybe this feeding of the 5,000 is a sneak peek of the kingdom of heaven, the perpetual feast where Jesus himself is the host. Maybe, Peter thinks, just maybe, this Jesus could be the promised one from God, the Messiah, the one who will usher in God's kingdom to earth and begin to make all things new. And you know what? He was right. You see, Jesus... He's breaking in a whole new world. Because this world that we live in right now, 
is a world where famine strikes and war destroys and families fall apart and diseases keep coming back and injustice prospers. This is the kingdom of us and it always ends in death. But in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, well, he's the bread of life. He's the living water. There's always more food. And in his kingdom, mercy wins and justice reigns and love prevails and it always ends in life because at the head of it all is the great king himself, Jesus, the host of the eternal banquet. Maybe that's why Jesus said about his kingdom in Luke chapter six, verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. And this feeding of the 5,000, it was great. But those people got hungry again the next morning. And don't get me wrong, Jesus fed a ton of people. But he didn't feed everybody in the whole world. But those leftovers, they were a sign that the feast would continue. Keep your fork. Some more where that came from. The best is yet to come. You see, this miracle, it was a foretaste. It was an appetizer for the real thing that will last for all of eternity. And so until then, Jesus put an institution in place to make sure that the hungry would be fed, to be sure that the feast would continue. An institution called the church. The church was designed to be a place of hope. Our tables were designed by God to be a place where the hungry are filled. Look at what was said of the early church, Acts chapter four. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. What if that could be said of us? Because there's gonna be no poverty or hunger in heaven. So if the church is supposed to be a sneak peek of heaven, then there shouldn't be any hunger here either. And that's why our church loves partnering with ministries like Active Grace that provides food and shelter and job training for the homeless. Uh, that's why uh, people from our church every week in that kitchen back there, every Thursday, make and give out 450 free meals to those in need in our community because our table is supposed to be a place of hope. And God wants to use you to be a part of that too. I mean, maybe, maybe you feel like you don't have much to give. Maybe you feel like you don't have much money. Maybe you feel like you don't have much time or, or much space in your home or much margin. God doesn't care all that much about what you don't have. He cares about what you do have. Little though it may be, if you give it to Jesus, it'll be more than enough. So what if you invited your neighbor over for dinner? What if you offered to babysit for the couple down the street so they could go out on a date? Uh, what if you visited somebody in the hospital? What if you picked up your phone this afternoon and called somebody that you knew would be lonely? What if you used your life to become a place of hope for somebody in need? What if you gave them a little appetizer of eternity, a foretaste of heaven with how you treated them? And when you do, you will infuse hope into their lives. You will be to them a living, breathing sign that the best is yet to come. Because that's ultimately what Jesus did for us, right? You guys remember how uh, when he fed the 5,000, Jesus gave thanks for the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread. Jesus did that another time too. At the Last Supper, before he died, Jesus gave thanks for the bread, 
He broke the bread. And then he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we come to that table of hope every week. And we're reminded how, even when we were dry and empty and hungry and hopeless, God provided for our ultimate need through the cross. And he now gave us the opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's us. We can be the dinner guests of God himself. Don't you want that kind of hope? You see, if you've been baptized and you're following Jesus, like some of these people, we got three more today, and they're getting an RSVP at heaven's table with their name on it. You want that too? Come talk to us after the service. There's no better time than right now. And that table, that world will be perfect. Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Keep your fork. There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. So until then, this week, two things I want you to do. First thing is this. Feast. Feast. That's the first thing. God has given you food, so go eat it. Go enjoy it. Go eat a good meal this week. Guys, this should be the easiest sermon to live out of all time, all right? I believe in you. You can do this. <laughs> go eat a good meal. God's given you food. Enjoy it. Do whatever it takes. Uh, chew each bite five times. Chew it 10 times. Do what it takes to taste it, to savor it. And remember as you do how desperately you are in need of God to provide for you and how abundantly he has. Thank him for it. That's the first thing, feast. Go enjoy some good food. And here's the second thing, fast. Fast. Uh, to fast means to give something up. To, to give something up. So I would challenge you, if you're able, to skip a meal this week. Give up one meal. And, and as you skip a meal, as you feel hungry, let that hunger remind you to pray. To pray for people who really are hungry that God would provide for them. Pray also that God would show you how you can help provide for them. And as you skip a meal, don't forget that we also have an opportunity as a church to help give a meal. You've heard about it now coming up. September the 8th, our church is having a meal packing event right here in this room. There's gonna be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of meals that are packed and sent to people around the world who are hungry and you get to be a part of it. You can help make a difference. Sign up today, go sign up in the hub, sign up on mypcc.info, ask somebody in a green t-shirt. This is a great opportunity for you to use just a couple hours out of your week to help make a difference, to help invite somebody to God's table, to help be a taste of heaven, a little foretaste of eternity, to give somebody hope and to testify with your actions that you really believe our God is God who says, hey, keep your fork. There's more where that came from. The best is yet to come. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we praise you for providing for us. Every day, Lord, we got clothes on our back and food in our bellies. And sometimes we're silly enough to think that we did that ourselves. Thanks for providing for us. 
And thanks for providing for our ultimate need, Jesus. You saw how lost and broken and hungry and thirsty we were, and you came and you lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died so that we could be invited to your table. Thank you. And Lord, we're ready to be there. I'm ready, Lord. We're ready to be home with you in a world where there's no more sadness or sickness or crying or pain or death. Come quickly, Jesus. Come, take us home. And until then, keep us faithful. Show us, Lord, who we can provide for and who we can invite to your table. And I praise you, and I'm so excited to see these three more lives for the rest of this service who are going to offer up their all to you. And I'm excited to eat with them in heaven. We love you so much. In your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.